Released on Sunday, August 31st, 2014, This Agile Life, Episode 60, Wine Will Fix My Problems. Our sponsorship tonight is CodeShip. CodeShip is continuous delivery, made simple. Try CodeShip for free. Setup only takes three minutes at CodeShip.io. The software industry transforms more and more every day. Agile methods are quickly replacing traditional ones. The question is, are you agile enough? This podcast is devoted to agile and lean software development. Time to welcome your agile coaches on This Agile Life. Hello, everyone. I'm the host of This Agile Life, John Sekro. Joining me today are my co-host, Lee McCauley. Hey, guys. Hey, John. How's it going? It's going good, Lee. Thanks for joining us. Glad to be here. Also, we have Amos King. Good evening, John. Hey, Amos. What do you want to improve? Oh, no, wait. That's that's Jason Tice's line. Hey, Jason. <laughs> Hi, John. How you doing? I'm fabulous. You know, improvement should be contagious. So everybody should be asking everybody, what do you want to improve? You know, we should all get fired up about that. I thought that would be a good way to start the show since uh, we're going to be maybe talking a little bit about improvement tonight. And back in episode 56, as our factotum, Jason has reminded me, I put a call out to our listeners asking for suggestions and ideas for how to keep track of your retrospective topics and insights and then ultimately the actions that the team decides on for improvement. And you know, Jason, we didn't get any responses back from people. Yeah, it's like, I, well, as we reminisce on prior episodes of This Agile Life, um, I know one time I, I plugged the uh, the Chet Wong videos from Atlassian, and he's got one about retros where they joke about, you should have this retro and you know write all the stuff down, the ideas, and then you should shred the document up because no one should ever read it. And I wasn't on 56. You guys rolled it without Lee and I. And as I listened to it and heard your pick, I said, I, I've seen and I've been in a lot of events where I, I felt the exact thing you were, you actually were recommending using Evernote as a way to promote capturing the information and doing it in a way that everybody could see it and have access to it, which is a step in the right direction. But I think we could all tell stories. We've been there. We've seen that occur. Maybe you make a big poster. Maybe you use Evernote. You put it in your virtual team room and then nothing happens. And I think, John, that's what you were expressing a little bit of frustration about, and you were kind of asking for ideas. So, well, the good news is we're here, and maybe we can share some ideas with you. Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head. My call-out was for ways to capture information, but buried in that call-out was a cry for help that translates into how do I get my team to hold themselves accountable to making their improvements And what are some things that I can do to help encourage that to happen? So this Mm -hmm. is a a good opportunity for us to talk about that. It seems like Amos is ready to jump in. He's got his people work here, (laughs) t-shirt on. He's all fired up and ready to go. The biggest thing that I've had with retros whenever we've had failure to complete one of the objectives of the retros, or not the objective of the retro, but like things that we came up with during the retro to change, was we had too many. So if you can limit the number of things that you're trying to change in the week, then it allows people to focus on it and then bring it up every morning at stand-up. So if you have something small enough that you can bring it up every morning at stand-up, that just helps reiterate that focus of the week. 
A couple of good suggestions there that I heard, Jason. Let me summarize real quickly. Bring it up at stand-ups every day. So somehow, you know, we'll we'll maybe get into more about how you can do that, but then limit the number of improvements. Limit your whip. Limit your improvement whip. What do you think, Jason? Yeah, I mean, (laughs) that's what I wanted to ask Amos, though, is, well, whose responsibility is it to be the, um, what shall we call them today, The, uh, the retrospective fairy? That does the uh, reminder, like reminder. Don't forget about what you invested your time to improve. You know, I mean, who does that? How about the very first person to talk at every retro? And nobody wants to talk at. Uh, that's sometimes normal, anyway, right? Well, that's. <laughs> it's easy to say it should be the first person, but there needs to be a reminder. There should be um, maybe a visual reminder, so I, a visual indicator of some sort. I like to have the retro around the team board, like Kanban board or whatever, whether it's electronic or not. Like if you really do have one or two things to focus on, if you have a physical board, you can put up like a big poster right at the board. Um, Maybe if you talk to the board during your standups and you move like left to right or right to left, whatever you could put it on the end of whatever end you start on. Or uh, if you have an electronic board, Put a card on your board. This is what we're working on to improve this week so that every day that card is talked about. Yeah, I, I think, Amy, sure, hey, on the one thing where a simple thing to do to improve is to do something to make that idea for improvement transparent. So it's right. on the board. It's, you know, it's there. It's represented. I know I mentioned the big poster, but even still, if the big poster is in the team area and it's maybe over on the side and people aren't looking at it, it's pretty easy to forget about it. I think uh, another thing that has worked fairly well for me is getting people to to own up to doing that, uh, whatever that is, to take charge of it. So somebody on the team is in charge of getting that done, and then at the next retro, you ask them, did it get done? Now, sometimes the answer is no, but the point is is that if they know you're going to ask the next time and they know that, that their name is next to it, then sometimes it's just a, a kind of a peer pressure sort of a thing that, yeah, I'll actually pay attention to this and, and focus on it to get it done. Lee, the one question I have about that is, um, what about, you know, if you name someone by name, doesn't that challenge the whole team approach? That's a good question, and maybe it does, but I have found that to be more effective than some of the other methods. So it's not that it's a perfect solution, Well, here's it the, is something well, that occasionally works. Here's the thing, Jason, on that is, We're not saying that the named person is necessarily responsible for making the improvement, right, themselves. We're saying that we're going to have that person as our point person to help ensure that the team is focused on talking about it at stand-up, is reminded that we're supposed to be working towards this goal, and and just as kind of the catalyst for continually working on it. But even as I say that, I can see where you would want the whole team to be more participating and and holding everybody's feet to the fire. So my only issue with that also is that when everybody is responsible, then often nobody is responsible. We see yeah. that a lot, right? Everyone thinks, hey, Lee's got it. You know, trust me, I love the idea of you know, putting your name down. And I think the thing that we need to watch for is that everyone maybe takes a turn on the team being that point person who is responsible for ensuring follow-through occurs, but that by no means means that that person is responsible for doing all the work. One other thing that I would note on that is that don't have, as a facilitator, don't have the person that suggested that particular idea, which everybody wants to do. Don't 
automatically just make them responsible for it because then it discourages new ideas next time that, oh, man, they're going to make me do this stuff. They're going to put me as the point. I don't want to do that. So talking about the facilitator, if your facilitator is not an external person who comes in to your company like once a week, but instead is somebody who actually works at your company daily, is have your facilitator come to your stand-up and they can ask those questions. I think it's good for the facilitator to actually stay involved throughout with the team throughout the week and just talk to them, come by, because there's a lot of little feedback that they get that they can use during the retro to help guide discussion because they might see things that you don't necessarily notice. And so they can come in with some ideas in case the team's not talking. Plus, they can jump in and get these bullet points talked about during the stand-up. All right, I got a couple of things I got to challenge you guys on. So let's use Amos as an example here. You know, we're, we're, we're pretending that this Agile Life delivery team, we're having our retros, we have our facilitator come in, we have a, this pattern established where each week the facilitator identifies someone to the person who takes ownership of helping us follow through on our action. We're going around, we get to Amos. Amos says, no, I don't want to do it. And he refuses to do it. What do we do? I think that before we got to that point, Jason, and I'll let the other guys respond in a moment, I think before we got to that point where it would have come around to someone, the whole team should have already been in agreement before going into the very first retrospective or would have confirmed the agreement on how to operate at some point in the retrospective or at some point along the line, because we would have discussed that and decided as a group that the way that we're going to assign a point person is through some rotation. Or okay, okay. But- I, I think that person is poison to the team, and that it derails the discussion that we wanted to have tonight, which is about retrospectives. And then we're getting into what are your responsibilities as a team member, and are you failing at that? And how do we motivate people who are just all around dicks? Okay, Amos. Uh, Amos is always the first person to bring up a naughty word, but <laughs> but real life, we have people who listen to this podcast who I've talked to who tell me they have issues in their retros because they have this problem. And if we want to parking lot this and say that's a, a separate issue that's not related to the retro and basically I- is impacting the safety of the retro, then that's what it is. But what do you do? Well, I think that maybe let's table it for later in this podcast and let's talk about we I think there's still like a couple more ideas around how do we make sure stuff gets done after we've already either selected a person or whatever. And then we'll come back to what do we do with when somebody dissents that? Okay, I'll go for that. I have a concern regarding third party, third person facilitators or facilitators that are external to the team. And Amos, you mentioned possibly having a facilitator that comes in from outside of the company, even in the case that you mentioned. And I get the upside that there's that third person impartiality that the person brings to the group. But I have concerns that it's maybe too impersonal that this person who comes in wouldn't know enough about the team and may overstep their bounds by proposing solutions to problems rather than strictly acting as a facilitator. And then someone who's gone and doesn't witness the happenings of the team and have any sort of perspective, which maybe is part of the point, but I'm wondering if it's too impartial. Jason, what do you think? I think, John, your your statement challenges the definition of the facilitator at its core. I mean, the role of facilitator, regardless of if they're on the team or they're not on the team, is to do things to make the team talk 
write things down, and ultimately allow the team to identify their own problems, conduct their own root cause analysis, and then maybe think about some things to improve and decide what to do. I mean, that's what the facilitator does. And that's the facilitator allowing the team to go through that process, technically without inserting any of their own ideas. I prefer a facilitator who is not a regular daily team member because I feel like they actually have a chance to be more impartial. Plus, they, even though they're supposed to let you run with things, sometimes they can bring in their own experiences and good suggestions from what their teams have been doing. Or if all they do is facilitate, they can bring in stuff like, hey, I've seen this five or six times. These are four or five different ways that other people have handled it. Does that work for you guys if you're stuck? I find that those people have a tendency to get the team to talk more than someone who's on the team. Instead, yeah, I, that person that's on the team really seems to come in with more of an agenda. I agree, but but understand there are mindsets out there that if you are a classically trained facilitator, you were proposing here, Amos, and I, I think all three of or sorry, all four of us have probably been in this role at one point. What I'm going to use the term is a consultative facilitator, where working to facilitate the group, the discussion of the group, and if there's an opportunity to share an idea or an experience that may be relevant we may inject that or offer that as fodder for discussion, but understand that from facilitation at its core, the facilitator would truly really not inject that. Agreed. So and knowing that at that point, I mean, I've observed retros and probably I'll even share in my past, you know, was guilty of maybe being a little too vocal about ideas where you were facilitating a retro and because you had an idea and maybe just in your communication style, it's hard to not kind of get caught up in the heat of the moment and next thing you know, you're kind of guiding the team to an outcome. And if you take a step back and look at it, you realize that it was like 60% of the facilitator's idea and 40% of the team's idea. And then that goes full circle and it ends up creating a retro where the team doesn't follow through because they had very little buy-in to the idea in the first place. And you get that even, I think, with great facilitators who don't do that. They have a tendency to guide the team anyway to that decision that they want them to get to without expressly like saying that decision, just the way that they pull people and try to get people to talk leads them there. So uh, I think this actually leads into the elephant in the room kind of a question. And I hope I'm not the only person that thinks this, but I think that one of the biggest reasons why people don't follow through on retrospectives is they, because they don't really feel like whatever the, the plan was that came up and was decided on in air quotes, decided on in the uh, retrospective was is actually going to have that big of an effect, and so it's not really that important. Or whatever the whatever the uh, the issue was that they decided to improve, they didn't feel like it was that big of a problem anyway. It was just kind of well, you're in a retrospective, and we're supposed to figure out something to improve, and so we figured out something. Well, or Lee, what I want to add to that is, uh, and actually, this is a. Uh... We'll add to the list of the many blog posts I need to write. I call it a shallow retro. It's a retro where there isn't enough effort exercised to determine root cause analysis of what actually caused a problem. If anything, I've been in, I think, three retros of my coaching career where the team got to the point they had identified a problem and they said, you know what, guys, the best thing we could do to get value out of our time is to stop the retro and go do root cause analysis, which in this case, the team had to do it outside the retro because they needed access to data and information that was not available in the meeting. So they stopped the retro. They took a few days to go get the data, and they then came back truly knowing what the root cause of the problem was. 
and they were able to have a solid discussion about outcomes. I've seen that three times in my coaching career, and it's we tend to glance over and we think we know what the root cause is, and we move on to actions before we have buy-in, and we know that we're truly trying to solve a problem that has value. Yeah, I see a, a very good point in what Lee was saying about buy-in, and Jason, your follow-on with buy-in as well. One of the common things that I've used, and I'm sure you guys have as well because we all kind of learn the same way, for deciding on the actions that we're going to take is a lot of times we'll do like dot voting, right? Take your sticky dot and go up and put it on the board and mark the item that you want us to work on and improve. Well, inherently, I'm not, I'm most likely not going to get 100% agreement on the item that I want to improve. So this goes back to Lee's point about the buy-in. What are some things that we should do? Is it okay to say that what if only like 60 or 75%? I mean, should we use parliamentary procedure to decide, you know, we need a two-thirds majority or we need a simple majority or, or whatever to motion carry. We're going to make this improvement, right? Should we spend some time before we finalize that item for improvement to further get buy-in and explain to the rest of the team why it's important? Amos looks really excited to add something to what I'm saying here. Okay, so I've dealt with this in two different ways. One was I added a category for none of the above and allowed that to be a vote. And if a majority of the team says none of those things are the problem, then we know we need more discussion. The other thing is like a process of elimination. Instead of just saying the majority, I take like the top two and re-vote on those. So erase everything else and you have just the top two that you're looking at. Do I still have the opportunity to say none of the above? Uh, well, not whenever I've done that. I haven't used those together. Okay, that's a good suggestion. Jason? Well, what I was going to say, to me, going back to talking about people and team, this is a team chartering working agreement. Like, As a team, do we have to achieve consensus on a single outcome in a retro? Or as a team, do we agree to respect the simple majority? And that's what we'll do, and we'll just try it and see what happens, knowing that we can always try something else. But more often than not, I see that teams don't have that type of discussion, and instead... You, you end up with basically mixed opinions. Well, someone wants a consensus, someone wants simple majority, and there's an opportunity for conflict. Yeah, and I guess I get those items. I get those things. What I'm saying is I think that there's an opportunity to go beyond the simple dot voting and reaching that agreement. Because even if I've agreed, Jason, in my chartering session, I've agreed in principle to the statement that we'll go with a simple majority for the items that are going to be marked for improvement in the next iteration, sprint, period of time, whatever, in our retrospective. That's all well and good until I'm actually in a retrospective where maybe I disagree with the improvement that everyone just dot voted for, right? So now my feelings are different. So I think that there's time then that should be spent to say, let's get everybody around this idea. Let's, let's bring the consensus up a level and make sure we're okay with this before we commit to it. John, that's where I think you need to eat your dog food. You sat in the chartering session as a member of the team, and however the team did it, the team agreed that to keep our retro flowing, we will select the outcome that gets a simple majority, and that becomes the team's understanding of how they want to do that and their way of working. And if just because you don't get your way in one retro, if you respect the team and you respect the people you're working with on the team then okay, that's fine. Next time, I'll maybe I'll get my way, but you respect that. Maybe I'll ask Lee to, to help me out here a little bit because I don't think it has anything to do with me not respecting the team. 
and I certainly want to eat my own dog food or eat the dog food or eat the food that was made for the dog, but it's still not going to change the fact that I may have hard feelings. And those hard feelings might be eliminated by spending a little time building more consensus past the dot voting. What do you think, Lee? Well, I think there is a danger there. So one of the things that I see in a lot of retros is that you'll end up with circular discussions, right? So you keep going around and around, and everybody's trying to convince everybody else that their solution is right, and you end up spending your time for the retro and not coming out with a conclusion at all. So somehow you have to have some way of defining, okay, this is how we're going to end this. And for those people that uh, I've also seen those people that didn't actually get their way or they disagreed with some decision of the group, that they'll abide by it, but they will mumble under their breath and, and make little comments for the entire next week or two weeks or whatever. Poisoning uh, the well. Yeah, exactly. Poisoning the well on it. So uh, while that doesn't happen often, and in some cases it's done in a joking manner, it's still kind of you know taking pot shots when they get the opportunity. So it's, there's dangers there. I'm not sure if that's a really good answer to your question, though, John. It is. And usually what I'll try to do as a retrospective facilitator, when I have this situation and I can see that there's a bit of a divide or we haven't gotten as far with the consensus as I hoped that we would, what I'll propose is that we do it as an air quote experiment. Let's make this an experiment. It's not something that we have to stick with forever. And I'll propose that we give it a try for the period of time between retrospectives, right? Let's try this for this period of time, and then let's see, because maybe it doesn't work out, but we have to have everyone give it their full and honest attempt at making things work, and it'll be an experiment, and when we come back together, the first thing we'll talk about is how did our experiment go? I think Jason actually has a really good way of doing exactly what you said, John. Jason had created these forms that a lot of our teams were using there for quite a while where we explicitly laid out what exactly were the metrics you were going to be using to determine whether the experiment was successful or not, uh, what exactly was the goal, and it forced a team to think about all those pieces because a lot of times you can say, oh, this is, okay. this is an experiment, we're going to try this, but you don't actually lay out those parameters of exactly why you're doing it and how you will know if it's a success or not. And so I think that's a pretty good pretty good method. Yeah, and John, one thing that I'm just interested in as I'm listening to the conversation here is it sounds like maybe within some of the groups that you're working with, do people fully understand that the retro is a recurring pattern or a recurring practice? And so if you come to a retro and you vote and there's a majority or something, and you, hey, let's really everything that comes out of the retro, yes, it is an action, but it is an action that is within a try clause. So you can try something. And just like Lee's saying, I would encourage teams when they try something to have an idea of how they're going to measure if it works or if it doesn't work so they can make an informed decision to um, really to continue it and then try to amplify if it's working well. Or, okay, we tried this. We saw our cycle time or we saw something regress and we are going to abort about face and go back to whatever we were doing and then we'll reassess. And we're going to do that continuously, really to support the Kanban method. I love the fact that the retrospectives can be a try-catch. That's awesome. Yeah, I mean, it's... it's <laughs> but to me, that's every retro. And, and going back to the simple consensus, you guys, Amos might find this interesting, but to me, a retro should be a very short, 
focused discussion. Um, it is a celebration, so I'll agree with that. We should celebrate some good things going on and have a little, you know, get a little bit of a motivation out of it. But once we identify something, let's not, you know, theorize about it. Let's not plan it out. Let's just go try and do it, get some data, and then decide what to do next and use that doing action to drive us forward. I absolutely think that that's the way we always envision and talk about retrospectives. And I will admit that even I am guilty, Jason, at times of forgetting that particular point and assuming that decisions that we make or thinking that decisions that we make are immutable and unchangeable. So I think it's good to remind ourselves as part of maybe the pre-retro routine or the, the retro warm-up. There's a couple of things that I like to do in the retro warm-up phase is remind everyone that this is a safe place, remind everyone that their voices are encouraged in the conversation and everyone should have equal time and that folks should be respectful of other people's opinions and then also remind everyone that the decisions that we make and the improvements that we attempt are always temporary and that we're always evolving and finding better ways to go about this. I have a great story from actually just probably about, it's, it's uh, what is it? It's August uh, 2014, so about three months ago. Hey, we, hang on. Save that story for just a second because we're oh. gonna, I'm going to deep tease the story. Oh. We're going we're to do a quick spot for our friends at CodeShip. I want to give a quick shout out to our friends over at CodeShip. CodeShip is simple to use. You can get your project set up and building on CodeShip in as little as three minutes. If you're not using CodeShip, then you're just spending too much time on continuous delivery. Our good friends at CodeShip won't even ask you for a credit card to get things started. I know. I've done it. What are you waiting for? Maybe you're worried that you'll run into a problem or you'll have trouble getting started. Well, that's easy because our good friends at CodeShip are there to help you. They have a great blog at blog.codeship.io with a lot of good examples, good videos, good blog posts to help you get started. And there's tons of useful information out there. And if you need help, you know you can always tweet them or send them an email. And the guys at CodeShip and ladies at CodeShip will get right back to you with help. Few things in life are easy, but this is one of them. Let CodeShip make continuous delivery simple for you. Go and visit codeship.io slash thisagilelife and use the code thisagilelife when you sign up and you'll receive a 20% discount for three months on any paid plan. Thanks to CodeShip for sponsoring This Agile Life. All right, Jason, I'm ready to hear the story. So we had a retro. Uh, we had a bunch of retros, and, and we, I was working with a group that always struggled. They were always debating what policies were. And, and I'll share, John, just like you're saying here, Liz Lee's saying, I was the guy in the retro that always said, we should invest a small amount of time to do something to make our policies explicit, write them down put them in our tool where we can document them. And I constantly was voted over. I remember one time we actually had, a, instead of writing policies down, we decided to change our workflow and add a few cues to our Kanban board. And we did it as a team, talking through it in a retro, and then we set it up on the board. And like the next day, everyone looked at it, they're like, what on earth is this thing? And we rolled it all back. You know, so it's like, it's this idea of, we had a discussion, we did it instead of talking about it, we just did it. And as soon as we saw what it was, uh, at least to the majority of the group, people didn't see value. So they said, let's change it back. And at that point, we changed it back. And 
So that's the mindset people should be in in a retro but, is right. And you you did write it down. You did it on your Kanban board. That's yeah. still writing it down. Well, we made it transparent because we took the outcome of the discussion. And, and actually, John, going back to I guess what we started talking about, instead of documenting it. We basically had a few people say, we will take the actions after the, the discussion in the retro and go do whatever we talked about. Now, what was funny about that scenario, and specifically, I'll tell you, is that there was, after we did it, people kind of looked at it. They're like, well, uh, we don't remember talking about that. And there were various opinions where people said that, yeah, we did that, say that. No, we didn't. And when people saw it in real life, not in a document, but in real life, they said, uh-uh, it's not going to work. And we changed it. So even talking about maybe, you know, we were talking about not having stories in our last episode. Maybe there's an idea to say instead of having a retro where we document it, we do something that makes it more transparent from the get-go. I'm all for making it more transparent, and I want to get into that because I think that that's crucial to any improvements that we identify and want to make. There were two things that jumped out to me in the process of you telling that story, Jason. Well, three. One of them is your good storytelling. The second two are, how much time should we give an improvement before we quit on it, right? And then the second one is the concept of making it, the, the fact that folks didn't understand what the improvement was, is there something that should be done to clarify that improvement better so that when everybody came out of that retrospective, it was clear in their minds what the improvement was or what the need was, not necessarily exactly the steps that you're going to take to make the improvement, but at least understood the root cause of that problem and understood that this was an attempt at trying to solve or improve that situation. So what do you think about that, Jason? Well, so the first one, it's interesting because we confirmed that obviously the discussion was not clearly understood by everyone in the room because when we implemented the outcome, people didn't understand. So again, that that just demonstrates that verbal communication, as we do a podcast, it's kind of funny, isn't 100% effective. So by taking that verbal communication and then augmenting it with actually changing our workflow, people said, oh my gosh, that's not going to work. And we put our hand up and we changed it right away. What process did you go through to back that out? Was it one person? Uh, was it a, I, was it the whole group? It's funny. So we, you know, we invested. We had a, a team discussion in a retro about it. We invested. Actually, I, I want that discussion went on for a while. We probably invested over an hour in that discussion, and so the outcome was to go make some changes. We made the changes, and then the next morning at stand up, several people in stand up had came in unified to say that that is not what I thought we talked about yesterday, and you could say they were vocal. By them being vocal, they established a consensus to say that, okay, we don't want that. Let's go back to what we had before, because now that we see what that looks like, no way. Okay, but the whole team was involved in backing it out, right? Well, it's funny, because it was driven by a vocal majority, but nobody objected. I mean, I kind of said as a coach, I was like, well, okay, if you guys want to, knowing that the problem we were having was inconsistencies about how to keep the team on the same page when new work was added to the board. So do we have a turnaround? Do we wait for stand-up? Do we just talk about it, you know, whenever? Um, or what if we have a turnaround and someone's at lunch? You know, so we were trying to figure out a way to solve that problem. A lot of teams have that problem. To answer your other question about experiment and what Lee mentioned, which was a, a simplified version of a, like an A3 template that we set up where teams wrote out an experiment, 
to me, there isn't a good answer for it. If a team commits to an experiment and immediately they see pain, which is kind of the moral of this story, or they don't like it, to be respectful of the team, they should be able to make changes. But you do need to say if you are doing the improvement kata, what is a, a period of time that you commit to an experiment that you can get enough data to decide if it's providing value or not? And that's going to vary from experiment to experiment. Let me also add from the uh, discussion and the story you just told, Jason, that it didn't require waiting until another retro before you guys rolled back your changes. So yeah. you kind of had a retro in the middle of your, your war room or whatever you called it and just kind of did the, did the change immediately. So I think there are instances where you have teams, if there's really good communication, where those retros can happen kind of organically. Yeah, or real life. You know, if we had, suppose in real life, if we had had a retro and we had written up a retrospective summary about the changes and then we implemented them three or four days later when we got around to it, and if we remember to, who knows what would have happened Instead, what we did in this scenario was instead of really writing a summary, we just made the changes and we got fast feedback. And it was very effective. I agree that you got feedback quickly. Uh, my concern is if you didn't give it enough of a chance. And so th this is hard because if I decide tomorrow I'm going to make a personal self-improvement and I'm, I'm going to start, I don't know, something that you like, Jason. I'm going to start doing yoga, okay? And I decide after... after have, that's wrong. You should have said Six Sigma. Or drinking wine. <laughs> I'm going to start drinking I, wine to fix all of my problems. So that's my... <laughs> that's yoga my and wine will fix your problems. No, no, no. no just just the wine. Sigma. Just yoga, the wine. wine, and Agile. Great. <sighs> so I start drinking wine, and I, that's going to be my improvement. And after, <laughs> after my first bottle of wine, it doesn't solve my problems. So I roll back the improvement. I haven't really given it a try, right? I, I should have consumed a case of wine first <laughs> and seeing if that really fixed the problem. Yeah, but It does but, fix the problem, but not knowing what you're thinking. About the but the team knows best. So again, this is a, this is a great story to brief with you guys because the people, again, we're working with people, okay? So three or four people on the team saw the outcome of the discussion made transparent by changes to the Kanban board, and they said, ouch. And what's funny is, as we debated it for over an hour in the retrospective, people kind of came on board. But the second people saw the change, or at least three or four of them, that was enough data to build consensus. And at that point, put it this way. If you have a team improvement that doesn't have a strong consensus because people see it and they, they kind of immediately say, that's not going to work for us, it's going to be hard to follow through on sustaining that experiment for a period of time. So maybe you did. The simple uh, solution is just to say, okay, well, we'll... That's not going to work, so let's roll back, and then let's try something else. I think you just so, need to be very careful there. I have seen that same situation that you talked about turn into next week, a few people don't really like the decision, and it happens again. And the week after that, it happens again. And then suddenly, we're not doing any of those changes. And one thing that I have toyed with, I've actually seen really work. You guys know what a mastermind group is? Yes. yes. Okay, so get a couple teams. And basically create mastermind groups out of like three teams. So for and our listeners, you have, Amos, why don't you explain what a mastermind group is? A mastermind group is a, it's a group of people who get together for common learning, accountability, ideas, and strengthening of each other. Napoleon Hill, I think, is who first wrote about it. I wish I could give his definition. I could probably search for it, but I'm not going to do that right now. It sounded like Burning Man to me. 
<laughs> That's a lot of fun. Um, <laughs> so it's basically an accountability group, and you also learn from each other. What I've done is had multiple teams come in and say, here's what we decided in our retro, and here's what we're going to work on this week, which can help with the accountability. They have two other teams trying to hold them accountable to that. And also, if they get into a situation where they're like, I know we said we would do this, but this is crap and we don't want to do it anymore, is they go back to that those other two teams and tell them why. And it just gives an outside perspective of people to help hold you accountable throughout yeah. your, your team. It works really well when I've when I've done it. Some organizations it's really hard to do in because they have like one giant team instead of a bunch of little teams. But like where Lee and Tice work, it would work really well, I would think. Yeah, and actually a pattern we have in place that I was just going to mention because there's a couple other patterns and practices that can provide the same outcome. Uh, one of them is the idea of an operations review, which is or an operations review meeting from Kanban, which has been socialized into software through David Anderson's book about Kanban and the Kanban method. It's the same idea where all teams are working towards improvements. They get together. They talk about what they're improving and how they're measuring it. So, and, and if anything, it's a way for leadership and other teams to challenge the teams about, have you thought about this? Here's a suggestion. And, you know, look at data to see, are you actually moving forward? And I know, Amy, she'll love this one. I've seen people achieve that same outcome through a Scrum of Scrums discussion. So, again, people come together across teams Maybe retrospective facilitators kind of share information about teams they're they're supporting or they're facilitating for. So it's this idea of doing something to broaden the discussion so it encompasses other viewpoints other than just the people in the team itself. Well, and it's very much the same thing, except for the mastermind group is that plus they're supposed to hold you accountable. Yeah, that's it. Because Scrum of Scrums, you're right. There really is an accountability. It's just truly crosstalk. Operations review, I've seen it implemented all different ways where, you know, sometimes you're you're answering to leadership because leadership may have some overarching performance objectives for the organization. And they may say that teams need to operate within these parameters for various reasons um, to really manage how the organization is developing software. I'd like to propose a general rule of thumb for backing out an improvement and because I like the mastermind group idea. So my proposal, you can back off an improvement that you've previously agreed to in one of two cases. If you have this partnership with another team where you go and you explain to the other group, the your mastermind group, some folks from your mastermind group and say, we thought we were going to do this, we've decided, you convince them. You explain to them and convince them and they say, yes, I agree, you should back that out. Or you have a consultation with your facilitator and the facilitator agrees that you should back it out. Otherwise, I think you should work it through the period of time between retros. What do you guys think? Right? Can you get on board with that, Jason? No. Why not? I'm going to take a step back. It's too much of a standard activity for something that I think cannot be standardized. So you're arguing against prescriptive guidance. Amos, I just want you to put this on record. Jason is arguing against prescriptive guidance. What I'm, go I'm going to go back to that same issue I kind of brought have to before. sacrifice a lamb. This should be a team discussion, and it's going to be different for every team because of the people on the teams. Some people are risk adverse. They're not going to want to change things. And so every team should have a discussion about, guys, how do we want to handle retros and go through all the stuff about making a decision, who promotes follow-through? If we commit to something, how much do we have to invest in feeling the pain before we make a change? And 
as part of kind of running a team and starting a team or then maintaining a team, if you have people coming and going, team members should, there should be a culture about what that is. And it's going to be different for every team out there. So John, what you're proposing may work great for teams that you're on, but I know I've worked with groups that I think they would, again, take my group. They saw what happened. They detected pain right away and they said, we need to change. And they did. I feel like we're beating a bit of a dead horse here. And I think Jason, in the end, we're going to end up agreeing to disagree because I think that the pain is a natural outcome of any change. There's always some amount of pain involved. It doesn't feel natural. It doesn't feel normal. A number of episodes ago, Lee told us all about the right way to adjust your side and rear view mirrors. And that was painful to me when I followed that advice. It was a little scary. I wasn't sure it was a good idea. It took quite a while for me to get used to it, but now I would never go back. Test-driven development for me was the same way. It was scary. It was unnatural, but I would never now go back. So I always think there's going to be pain, and I think that your way of doing it is going to let people off the hook too easily, and a lot of people are going to potentially miss that opportunity for improvement. I have to agree on the uh, side mirror thing. I did it too. And my wife thinks I'm absolutely nuts. She's like, when I do that, I can't even see the road. And I'm like, well, you don't need to see the road. You need to see the cars. <laughs> Let me clarify, because what, what I want to say is that it's if this is a team here, this is where you propose that as our way of working and how we want to handle the outcome of retrospectives. As a member of the team that respects you as another member of the team, I say, yeah, John, that's a great idea. Let's do that. And I respect that. And as a member of the team, we're going to, I agree to, to live through the pain. I see a lot of teams that don't have that level of understanding and respect between each other to do that. And so that's where I think that's the outcome is that teams should have a discussion about that. And there's a lot of merit to what you're saying, because if you call an experiment off too fast, you won't ever realize the benefit. We could listen back to the episode if I'm trying to save myself here, but I think what I'm trying to get at is this fact that I would encourage teams, especially to ensure they get value out of their retrospectives, to maybe even it's a topic in a retro. You could have a retro about retros and say that, you know, how do we do this as a team? You know, how do we want to follow through? Do we want to, you know, have the pass the baton technique where each week someone different helps us follow through? You know, what are our rules if we try something and, you know, how long do we stick to it? Do we have some escalation criteria to say, oh, my gosh, this is not working? And to what Amos said, you know, we go when we work with a mastermind group or we get another facilitator or team to concur with the pain. And maybe that gives us permission to deviate. But, you know, that this is something that a team should figure out really what works for the people on the team. And it's a good point. And it's been spoken a number of times on the episode. We've referred back to working agreements, team charters, if you will. I'll use those terms interchangeably in this case. As a setting of ground rules for us to have a shared understanding of how we will operate in our retrospectives so that there's common awareness of how long we're going to give a change a chance before we back off of it or how we're going to arrive at consensus, etc. Yeah, I, I guess as I got distracted, because um, I was adding a pick for later, is it's not a bad thing. What Something I've encountered recently is people tend to oversimplify the retrospective itself. And this, oh, we know how to do that, or oh, we're doing that. And to give credit where credit is due, when we're talking about a retrospective here, 
You know, we are talking about really the activity that's really best described in a book that was written by uh, Diana Larson and Esther Derby about how to have retrospectives that go through five stages. And there is a lot of science and uh, I'll use the term rigor into how that works. And I've worked with many people or, you know, oh, we're doing that. And they oversimplifying something that actually has some integrity. So it isn't a bad idea if you're on a team or maybe it's you're a new person on a team to, you know, ask about retros and be mindful that maybe people think they know what they're doing. And there is an opportunity to still improve how the retrospective is facilitated and promote understanding amongst people on the team about what a retro really should be. Well, we have an item, Jason, I think we need to put into our discussion backlog because we're not going to have time tonight to circle back to our previously tabled item about talking about the guy that just flatly says no to a request to participate in the corralling of the improvement. Yeah, the, well, the guy that checks out that says, you know, and or the other one to throw there about retros is the team that says, I'm good enough. We don't need to have retros because we're good as we're going to get. So we should just not even waste our time. So look for a future episode called Poisoning the Well or yeah. That Bastard. Yeah. As we experiment with a new, uh, a new feature on the Sagittarius Life called Teasers, the other one about retros that we could throw out there for real life is, um, so I have to observe and coach Leon facilitate a retrospective sometime in the new future. So we could do this, and then Lee and I can talk about it with all of you guys as our audience. And uh, I don't know, Lee, would you be game for that? I'm game for it, although I, I don't. I only uh, uh, jump in at the moment. I don't oh, have any regular retrospectives. We'll fi- I will find you because we'll have lost so much fun. I'm sure I'm sh- we will. I'm sure we'll have a big debate about it. Maybe in that future episode, Amos, we can also talk about that person in the retro that incessantly tweets throughout the whole retro rather than participating. Yeah, but that, <laughs> but to go <laughs> but to go full circle, if you're on a team. And again, you're being respectful of what a retrospective is supposed to be. Everyone needs to be checked in and you should do a safety check, you know, where to be fair, people know what the rules are. And I'm sorry if I'm in a retro with you or with you guys and Amos is over there with two handheld devices, one on Twitter, one on Facebook. You know, I'm going to basically say, dude, this is not safe because I don't know what he's doing. And the safety of the environment is violated because, you know, if. If Amos isn't paying attention to the retro, then he's going to speak up any time, and who knows what he's going to say because he's just checked in. That's not what safe. You, what did you just say? Oh, really? Yeah. See, there you go. <laughs> Perfect. So, and that's the thing that you know. We one thing about safety in a retro is yes, many many people have blogged and written about this idea of doing a safety check at the beginning of the retro, and then also doing a safety check really at the end of the retro to ensure the outcome was achieved. If we think about an analogy, you know, take a flight, you know, if the pilot, yeah, the pilot goes out around the airplane and he checks to make sure it's safe before the plane takes off. And then at the end of the flight, he probably does something to make sure that the flight was completed successfully. If something goes wrong when the plane's up in the air, I think we all want to know about it and do something. So if you're in a retro and there's something going on that isn't correct, you really, as a member of the team and participant in the retro, it's your obligation to call it and say, Yo, you know, really call your fellow colleague out and say, oh. Dude, what's up with the Facebook? Put it away. Well, we clearly have a bunch more that we can talk about on this topic, so we will have to table some of our discussions for future episodes. I think we could come up with a lot of different uh, maybe profiles or personas uh, hats. of uh, <laughs> non-participatory members of retros or uh, people with ulterior motives, etc. So that might be a future episode for sure. 
The one thing I just want to say about that, though, is a lot of times people say it's the res- I've heard it say that it is the responsibility of the facilitator to ensure there is value out of the retrospective. I want to change that because I think the facilitator does have some work to do to help put together, you know, something to facilitate discussion. But the onus of that statement is really on the team. It's the team's responsibility to work together, to be checked in, and to maintain a safe environment that the team working together can get value out of the retrospective. And that's the final word from the Agile Factor. All right, let's do our pick. This week's hottest picks. Amos King, you're up first. All right, so I've got three picks. One of them's not so much of a pick as uh, self-advertisement. The first one is awkwardstockphotos.com. I was looking for some stock photos for a project just to throw something up to show somebody a proof of concept. And uh, when I searched for stock photos, this website came up. And as with all the other awkward something photos sites, it's very entertaining. But they pull stock photos from other stock photo websites that actually charge you money to use these pictures. So it cracks me up. Uh, the second was throughout the discussion, we talked about a mastermind group. So I found a, a website that seems to have a pretty good little talk about what a mastermind group is. So I threw that up there. And the third thing is I am currently looking for work. So if you need anybody for agile coaching, for software development, for Rails rescue projects, or just training on TD and things like that, contact me at contact at binarynoggin.com. You lost me at awkwardstockphotos.com. I just, did you, did you click it? I'm gone into a hole yeah, that I'll never come back out of. <laughs> I'm they, sure there's now spyware and malware on your computer. Possibly, but it was worth it. Oh, really? <laughs> Wonderful. All right, Lee, what are your picks? So if any of you have uh, charter, you probably had a little issue this past weekend which some people did not have an issue who were on Charter, and those were the people who were using Google Public DNS or possibly OpenDNS. So uh, those are two of my picks, are Google Public DNS servers. Uh, There's a link to them on the show notes on how to set those up and what the IP addresses are. Trust me, there's lots more than just speed that you're going to get out of those. OpenDNS, in addition to what uh, you get with uh, the Google Public DNSs, uh, OpenDNS also allows you to go onto their website and put in, for your router, you can block certain IPs from the DNS searches. So that's kind of cool for parental controls. Lee, did you go in and like modify the DNS so your kids can't learn about the Scale Agile framework? <laughs> <laughs> no, I just, uh, I just looked for the, this, for the Agile Factors website. I took oh, wow. <laughs> Ouch. Zing. So my final pick is for those who haven't seen Cosmos, the reboot uh, with Neil deGrasse Tyson, it is now on Netflix. So by all means, you got no excuse. Go grab it. It's an awesome series. It's also on Hulu. Jason, what are your picks? So first and foremost, uh, Amos needs to learn about architecture. He's over-investing in duplicative capabilities by having all three services for video. All kidding aside, um, since we did talk about retros tonight, um, I know many people who have said that if there is one Agile book that you want to buy to get your collection started, check out the uh, the book by Diana Larson and Esther Derrick entitled Agile Retrospectives, Making Good Teams Great. It goes over a lot of the stuff we talked about tonight. And if you are on a team in a retro or you're facilitating retros, you follow the guidance in the book, you will be well prepared to have effective retros. The other thing I'll plug is a kind of a neat thing that... Uh, 
I guess I, I got invited to join Luke Holman and some other innovation games facilitators for a large uh, innovation games uh, event that we're going to do at the Business of Software Conference, which is in Boston, Massachusetts, September 15th to the 17th. So you got a little bit of lead time when this comes up to uh, go uh, check that out. And what we're going to be doing is have a big innovation game session with really the entire conference going through some activities to define and flush out some of the problems about the business of writing software. So it should be really fun. It's on Monday afternoon, the 15th. Check out the conference and um, uh, come join us in Boston for um, a really cool session to see innovation games in action. All right, good pick. My picks tonight, guys, first one, none of these are really agile, by the way. So there's that. But my first one is something called, I I shouldn't even give the name first. Its tagline is (laughs) speed read the web with squirt. So you have to be careful if you Google for this because you <laughs> I did that and I came up with some inappropriate uh links. That's like when the Blue Man Group tries to like take classic literature and turn it into Twitter posts, which if you haven't seen that, it's hilarious. Mm, I haven't seen that, but that should it's... be a pick. Another pick. Okay. We'll add it to the future. I don't know if you guys have ever used a service like this or used this service that shall remain named only in the show notes, but it allows you to have a like a, a little bug or a plug-in there on your browser, and you go to a page and you hit this, and it will read the page. It will show you the words for the page one at a time, essentially, allowing you to speed read something. So you point it to a page with an article and hit the link for Squirt, and it'll quickly allow you to speed read that one word at a time. If it sounds weird or you haven't tried that before, check it out. It lets me speed read at like 300 words per minute, which is pretty fast. Jason Tice looked utterly uh, astonished by this. All right. My last pick is getting started with meditation and was looking for some information about how to get started because I was like, should I read a book? Should I go to a class? What should I do? I got a suggestion from a guy named Dan Benjamin online. He wrote uh, a series of articles on a site called Hive Logic. And so if you're interested in getting started with meditation, check out those posts. So those are my picks for tonight. That's all we have time for, guys. Check out thisagilelife.com for these show notes and for all of our past episodes. Thanks for listening and keep living this agile life. This Agile Life is brought to you by a community of agile developers and coaches aspiring to spread the word about this groundbreaking approach to software development. Join us at thisagilelife.com forward slash community.